0: 16,000, the number of New York City students in gifted and talented programs, which are now under the microscope. Mayor de Blasio named the School Diversity Advisory Group in December 2017 to pursue policies that will create a more equitable and integrated school system for New York City's 1.1 million students. After more than a year of deliberations and outreach, the large group of experts and stakeholders issued in February the first of two reports, with nearly 70 recommendations around goals and resources in the school system. A few months later in June, the mayor and chancellor, Richard Carranza announced that they'd adopt 62 of the 67 specific recommendations. Then, just two weeks ago, the advisory group issued its second report, which recommends phasing out gifted and talented programming in city schools and replacing it with a combination of initiatives, including an enrichment for all model and magnet schools. Other proposals in the report include altering middle school and high school admissions to eliminate exclusionary enrollment policies, that is, screening based on grades, test scores, attendance, and the like, and calling for a redrawing of all the city school districts, something which hasn't been done since 1969. It's the first day of classes for New York City school children, and we're diving into this hot topic with a member of the advisory group, David Tipson, and city council member Robert Cornegie, who has been a longtime proponent of gifted and talented programs and wants to see them not eliminated, but expanded. Here we go.
1: Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette.
0: I'm Maria Doulis from the
1: CBC. Thanks so much for joining us here today for what promises to be a very interesting discussion. Uh, The hottest topic really right now in New York policy uh, making and especially as the school year gets going, it's kind of the perfect time to dive into this. And this is our third straight education-related episode. We'll probably take a break after this from Mm -hmm. education. But um, if you missed our our summer episodes, we most recently talked to James Merriman of the Charter School Center. And before that, we had a really interesting episode on school space, school seats, school construction. Um, So check those out if you missed them over the summer. And now we're here as... Do we call it fall? End of summer, early fall <laughs> uh, gets going here with the school year. With another episode on a really important topic, Maria set the stage here really well with this school diversity advisory group that the mayor put together. Um, the other important context here, um, before we bring on our two guests, is that you know in two thousand thirteen, when there was a mayoral race to replace Michael Bloomberg, the issue of school segregation in New York City was really not talked about. And there were many issues discussed. I was at many of the forums with the mayoral candidates where they were talking about all sorts of things. And this was really not discussed much other than a little bit of discussion around the specialized high schools. And then all of a sudden, in 2014, after Mayor de Blasio won, in March, there was this bombshell report from the UCLA Civil Rights Project that really Set off a new phase of this discussion that really gets us to today. And there's a lot of steps in between. But that report in 2014 showed that New York State had the most segregated schools in the country, led basically by New York City, which of course dictates so much of what the data says for New York State is often dictated by New York City. And so that really kicked off a new phase of conversation that I don't think many people, including Mayor de Blasio, were really ready for. And we've seen a very slow process since then getting to this advisory group that was named in 2017 and a few other things that have happened across the city since in terms of specific school districts that have looked at their enrollment policies and and made some changes. But now we're really into a new chapter here with this advisory group coming through with its recommendations and a lot of obviously discussion around the second set that included this proposal around gifted and talented. But then, much more broadly, uh, different admission screens and the redrawing of district lines, as Maria said. So, let's jump into the discussion here. Councilmember Cornegie, David Tipson, thank you for being here. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So, um, David, a quick overview. Uh, you are from the advisory group, but also from New York Appleseed. And do you want to quickly explain that? I work? should
2: qualify that a little bit. Uh, oh. Appleseed was represented on the advisory group by Matt Gonzalez, who yes. I think was on your show earlier this week. Um, and of course, I've been very tuned in to how the process has been moving. Uh, but I myself was not a named member of the, of the task force. Um, so Appleseed has been working since 2011 for the last eight years uh, on issues of school segregation. Our mission is to advocate for integrated schools and communities. And uh, we started this work uh, with a single school, PS 133, uh, in working with community stakeholders and local electeds, Brad Lander, Steve Levin, to uh, and, and also uh, the DOA to come up with a model for um, managing admissions so that um schools would not become entirely affluent uh, bastions and and that model is basically the one that's in use today so since then we've been we've been trying to attack this issue from a number of different ways and perspectives and the gifted uh and gifted and talented programs are certainly one of those i know that figures um very much into the second report. Yeah,
1: and we'll we'll come back to the reports. Councilmember Cornegie, for those
3: unfamiliar, just introduce yourself a little bit, district you represent, a uh, little bit of your background. So, uh, yes, I'm Councilmember Robert Cornegie. I represent the vibrant communities of uh, Bedford-Stuyvesant and Northern Crown Heights, uh, predominantly um, African-American communities, although this is changing rapidly, like the city is. Um, I am, most importantly, I guess, to this whole discussion, a father of six. I have had a child in every facet of the DOE school system. My oldest son, who's an artist, uh, took a different route and, and got a GED when GEDs were available. Uh, my, my oldest son uh, has an IEP, uh, speech and language delays. My other daughter is in Gifted and Talented, and I have three children in charter. Mm-hmm. So um, we've had a very good look at what the DOE has to offer from all vantage points, and um, I'm here to advocate on behalf of the gifted and talented programs which have, have historically been pathways for uh, african-american students to some degree a monochrome of success academically um, those students have been you know i always start with my frame of reference is that in the 80s which is uh my heyday um uh brooklyn tech was 50 percent african-american and so what we did was trace the the steps in how we got to this low number of African-American students participating in uh, specialized high schools. And it points directly to the centralizing of the gifted and talented exam under Mayor Bloomberg. Um, and I've had a chance to talk to Mayor Bloomberg and Dennis Walcott, who was the school chancellor at that time, and certainly that wasn't their intention. But what we're finding is you know, though when it was localized, when the exam and test process was localized, there was more involvement and more African-American students because you had everyone from the principal to the guidance counselor, key stakeholders in a child's life being able to weigh in. And the exam wasn't the sole admissions Mm -hmm. criteria at that time. So um, I just would like to say that um, I appreciate and respect as a policy and a policy walk myself, the work that the the task force put in. Um, And I respect and appreciate the work that David and Maya and a whole bunch of other folks did on this. Um, but this, my, my presence here is not a response necessarily to the report. We've been doing this work for, for many years. And I just want to make sure that I can give context to why we feel that the gifted and talented program should not only be remain, but should be expanded. I believe, and a lot of people believe that there should be a gifted and talented program in every single school.
1: Yeah. Let's, let's come back to more on that in a minute. So David, um, give us a a general gist of the the two sets of recommendations that the task force came oh go ahead can
0: I just ask so as someone who has been following this as a parent and as a New Yorker who cares um you know your your first the first report of the advisory group was broad and had many recommendations and the second one is very narrow and focuses on gifted and talented how did we go you know why was that what the focus of the second report was
2: so you know, I think of the first report is really setting the stage and, and identifying uh, ways in which the DOE could facilitate uh, integration across the city. The second report I think of as what the DOE can actually do itself to uh, to cr- to make our schools less segregated. And I think in the the ta- the. Diversity Advisory Group wanted to take about, you know, an extra five months or so to engage with communities across the city to make sure that these recommendations for citywide actions that the uh, really the mayor and the chancellor could take. Uh, the mayor is famous for saying you can't fix segregation with a wave of a magic wand. Well, the SDAG really came back, the School Diversity Advisory Group really came back and said, yes, you can. There are things you can do. More or less, with a wave of your of a wand, uh, that don't require going to the state legislature, uh, that don't um, you know really even require going to the city council, um, and so you need to stop saying that and start taking action.
1: And that is to overhaul, basically, overhaul admissions.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's very focused on the role that uh, competitive admissions plays in this highly segregated school system, and and how that government policy, a governmental policy, is limiting access for some of the most historically disadvantaged populations in our city.
1: And from my reading, the first report has dozens of recommendations that are fairly specific around invest resources in a variety of ways. And it's just a lot about investing in schools, investing in schools, but also doing it with a certain frame or multiple frames around equity, inclusion, culturally responsive education. Um, I mean, there's dozens of them, as Maria said in the opening, so folks should really read through them. But, um, you know, sort of a framework around values Mm -hmm. is how I sort of read the first report. And then the second one really does get into the nitty-gritty of admissions policies and this G&T conversation we're having. But also saying, you know, basically that there should be no more screens no more school screens. And in elementary school. In elementary and middle, and, school. And middle school, right. Yep. And then consider the high school yep. down the road. Yep. Um, so, I guess broadly speaking, Councilmember, do you, I mean, you, you sort of framed how you come to this conversation with a real focus on GT. Mm-hmm. How do you sort of think about the broader mission of the advisory group and where the mayor and chancellor seem to want ahead to in terms of? Integrating schools
3: and and doing an overhaul here. First of all, I think that the um, advisory group and its findings are incredibly laudable. Like right? like that's that's an awesome way to attack. What I do know is that we have a tool in gifted and talented that has worked in a broken system, right? What the what the what the advisory group seeks to do is fix the broken system. Mm-hmm. The problem with that as an approach is it's so. I, I don't know if I mentioned it. I've I, as a parent, I've seen at least eight iterations of DOE changes from different administrations over the course of my school, my children's career. And um, I'm cautious about how long it would take to overhaul this system and how many students would be disenfranchised in that process. So um, when I spoke to a member of the advisory board, who I won't mention because I I didn't agree that I could mention (laughs) that person. when they said that they would like to dis- dismantle the program and then you know, reinvent the program, right, for lack of a better term, I said, well, I want to go to District 21 that has 10 gifted and talented schools with you when you tell those parents <laughs> that you're going to do Can I go? Mm-hmm. Right, because we have one in CEC 16. In 21, they have 10. Ironically, the, that, those zip codes largely populate Brooklyn Tech High School. So, it, it, and it's not, it's not the kids and their families. It's, it's they've created a pathway or an on-ramp to, to get into gifted and talented schools. And if we historically, again, if we think about Philippa Scala and PS308, which were gifted and talented breeding grounds, which helped populate those schools, which is how we got 50 to 50 percent, um, I'm concerned that the, again, very laudable proposal of the group would take an exorbitant amount of time, based on my historical relationship to the DOE, and a parent who's now sitting at home, or who over the summer was attempting to get their kid into a kindergarten class, their kid would be graduating by the time everything was implemented, and and this very kind of, and I don't mean to be callous, utopian kind of look at the DOE was was fully implemented. Well,
2: here's an area I think where I can put you at ease a little bit. It is actually not uh, something from outer space we brought in to think about transforming the way we educate gifted and talented kids in the way that the report recommends. It's something that's been done relatively frequently. I mean, if you look at um, some of the areas of the city that that we often consider to have, quote unquote, good schools, um, Park Slope, for for example, mm-hmm. the trend has been to move away from G and T. We don't see a lot of parents clamoring for G and T there. PS 10, PS 9, most recently PS 139. Those schools have gotten rid of their G and T program, and it's not as if the system collapsed or there were people with pitchforks in the streets. Uh, Carmen Farina famously got you know got you know moved to a a wide enrichment model at PS 6 on the Upper East Side. Again, a uh, a wealthier area of the city that's considered to have better schools, not you know a, a little bit of that,
3: that's the argument that the places that you're referencing already have better schools than than the minority community so the, the ability they had set up a framework that allowed for them to make that transition very smoothly so so
2: the, but that tells me that this is really about um, a critique of the of the general education programs in certain areas Perfect. rather than educating kids who are truly gifted.
0: Well, that's right. But the concern right going back to emphasize is about school quality. And so options for improving school quality that are not your local school when you're operating under a zone system. So in the, you know, in the absence of having those options, you know, what do parents do?
3: So, am so let let, oh, sorry. Let me no. let, let me let you answer that. No, go ahead. No, I, I don't. It I, don't, have, ahead. It I, is, don't I don't have an answer. This but is I But I think that, that was a very valid question, so I don't want to dilute.
1: Yeah, I mean, part of the part question. of the right. whole thing hanging over all of this, right, is this question of how do you fix the airplane while you're flying it, mm-hmm. right? And that's sort of mm-hmm. what the council member is yeah. getting at.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think what what the SDAG report is saying, what the SDAG and both reports are saying, is we have to move away from the scarcity model of education, whereas we we think we can only really educate about ten percent of the kids with any degree of uh, quality, and all we can really do is put resources into those programs, and the rest of the kids, you know, they, you know, we'll just sort of uh, try to cast them as not really worthy or not really hardworking enough, and. Um, you know, and we're just going to take care of those parents who um, who are politically powerful through these programs and i I just I think the STG fundamentally rejects that way of thinking about uh, our urban school system here The premise of real integration is that all of our schools can be places where children can learn from each other from their teachers um, and in order for that to happen we need to have integrated schools and we need heterogeneous classrooms where um, gifted and talent student, gifted and talented identified students can make friends with kids who are struggling in math, but bring um, incredible drama skills or whatever to the classroom and their social, their social and emotional needs can be met. And, um, you know, the, I believe that we have a tremendous uh, teaching force here. I believe we have a tr- tremendous uh, force of principles. If we can implement real integration across the city, because this is not, this recommendation is meant to be uh, taken with the other recommendations. It's not something you just do in isolation. I really believe that
3: we can make all our schools great places. So wait, I, what I wanna, the one thing I'm uncomfortable with is the way that the report suggested segregation Right, so so the 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 blatant segregation that we've been accused of as a state, and you know as as a as a school system, um, is in reference to the way that resources are used. In my opinion, the way that resources are used in various communities, not the way that it's being used in the report to some degree. So so the so the report to me suggests that. Um, gifted and talented is a methodology for segregation, ethnic segregation, mm-hmm. and 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 that's not how we find it. Now, it, you could argue that it's a method for segregating students in general. It's but, tracking, right? right? But but listen. So there's a when I talk to educators, right? So the group of educators I met with, which is why I want to illustrate that this is not reactionary. And the educator said to me that that largely they're responsible and mandated to teach to the bottom of a class with all due respect to to students, right? So if you have 10% of your class, of a 35 member class is advanced or has demonstrated capacity or acumen to, to take on more work, you're less likely to do that and more likely to teach to the students who are having difficulty and who are struggling. That to me suggests that there needs to be an environment created for students who are high performing students not the opposite. So that's what that's what i found in talking to educators is that that's how the classroom actually works. So there's a lot of theory, and I respect uh, Chancellor Carranza's, you know, uh, willingness to go beyond what the theory is and really do something practical, but here's what's happening on a daily basis in a classroom. In a classroom, you got five students, let's just say, who are ready to go, they're ready to rock and roll. That student is now looking out the window for the rest of the class. That student was me, just to be clear. So I was labeled... Having behavior issues because the we I do the work and it was you done and, was then I'm, and then and then I'm bored, yeah, right, right. But the teacher is now tasked with maintaining the re, the remainder of that classroom, so now I'm labeled as someone who's kind of a troublemaker. All
1: right, so let's pause. So, mm-hmm. yeah, gifted and it I mean, I mean, goes away.
2: That is that is the what? sort of you know, I, I I mean that is the sort of story that people tell about. Um, why we need um, separate classrooms for G&T kids. I believe that teachers can do differentiated instruction. I believe that you know before the Bloomberg era, our teaching force here in New York City was actually getting very good at doing differentiated instruction, at finding those opportunities to have kids learn from each other from wherever they were. There are pedagogical strategies that you can use in a heterogeneous classroom that you cannot use if you have kids who are all at a very high level. Uh, There's deep mastery of knowledge that comes from students being asked to teach each other in a classroom. You can't do that if you are not in a heterogeneous classroom. That, I understand that's the story people tell, but I don't, I've been into schools all over the city and I just don't buy that we can only teach to one level. I think we have some very good teachers in the city who, who are capable of doing differentiated instruction.
1: I mean, some of the stuff in the report gets at this, but doing differentiated instruction, even in a class of, let's say, 20, which is virtually, you know, unheard of in New York City, is extremely difficult. And so the report gets at adding resources and there's, as you get at, there's enrichment models. But I mean, how does it? Actually, work. I mean, I know the report didn't go into all the specifics yeah. on this, and that's sort of supposed to be part of a process here. But are there kids getting pulled out of classrooms for extra yeah, math I mean, or?
2: My son, for instance, is in a general education classroom, or was last year, or still is, but it was in a different it was in an elementary school last year. Um, when it came time for math, the kids from the three fifth grade classrooms would sort of break up into different groups and. They had instruction uh, according to where they were and what their needs were at that time, and the teachers from the three classrooms uh, worked with those groups. Not to say that they didn't come back together and, and learn from each other in, in a heterogeneous way, but you know, it's not to say that um, there isn't some times in the, in the course of a day when a student might need to be pulled aside and get some instruction that's appropriate to his or her uh, level. But Whether that, it's fast or I slow, I think what's very concerning to to us in the integration community and to the SDAG is this idea that kids need to be in separate classrooms all day long, or even in separate schools. You know, two thousand of these sixteen thousand are in separate schools, and they're leaving their their communities to go to these separate schools. And I just I think that sends a, a really troubling message, particularly in, when you have schools and we see schools like this. So I'm thinking of you know schools in um you know on the upper west side where there is a you know you have a classroom that's general ed that is filled with black and latinx students and right next to that classroom is a classroom of the same grade that has very few of those students and i think that's heartbreaking because those kids know that that is the gifted classroom and that they're not represented in that classroom and and I, I, I don't know how you tweak a system like that. That is that is very damaging to kids. And it only takes even, you know, we're only talking about 3,700 families a year that take advantage of GMT programs. Uh, but it only takes one classroom to do that kind of damage to kids' psyches in a school.
3: But the numbers that you're uh, suggesting, we believe is based on lack of access, right? And, and, and so in business, the consumer base drives what, the product is, right? And I'm suggesting that the numbers, 16,000, um, and, and families who literally in their districts didn't have a gifted and talented program to speak of are not applying because there's no there's no program, like there's no necessity for the program. Because when you look across the borough in Brooklyn, there's 10, 12, 15 gifted and talented programs, right? So um, I think that the so again my argument is expansion is the right way to go, not not the opposite. I think that again I, I just referenced the business model in in business. If customers don't buy a product, then it doesn't then the product doesn't exist. In in education, that's a similar model. If if parents are clamoring for uh, uh, extra instruction or pathways to you know, I, I was at a uh, another interview and I referenced um, Malcolm Gladwell's book The Outliers and the idea that there are no real outliers, there are environments that are created to assist in being an outlier. G programs, right? So I could, do, I could do a sports reference all day about this, but for me, creating outliers, if that's what parents want, and I know there's a ton of parents who want to suggest that their kids are outliers, really we create environments so that they, that are conducive for them to be progressive. And when we don't do that, you know, and, and I understand that there are schools in the city in parts of the city that the two classes ethnically suggest that there's segregation. But in my district where there is no ethnic segregation, there are students who need to be on a pathway to get the best out of their, 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 their academic experience. I don't believe that those students are gonna get everything they need in this kind of utopian balanced system that hasn't worked. From my community in the past. In my community, you know, it's almost creaming to some degree in my community because those students that are high performing in, in Bedford stuyvesant because there's only one GNT program, are all over the city accessing seats. Because one of the things Carmen Farina said to me was, Rob, we don't need gifted and talented programs back in minority communities because we have enough seats. And I suggested to her that there's two aspects to education. One is reading, writing, and arithmetic, and the other is socialization. And to take a student from where they live, worship. uh, Play and put them in an environment just for academics, is you know, is kind of a recipe not for disaster, but for them not to be totally engaged in the environment that they come from.
2: I want to come back to that last point, but I, you know, on the issue of demand and and placement of GNT programs, I mean, how do you account for this op-ed that we see from? Um, Naquan McLean yesterday, president of the District CEC, um, District 16 CEC, saying that
3: G&T really didn't work very well and they didn't get a lot of kids <laughs> testing into it. Because it was terribly under-resourced mm-hmm. um, at the way that they gave it to us. Now, Naquan McLean, who is, a, who is somebody I know very well, who actually worked with me to bring the gifted and talented yes. programs back, um, is sorely disappointed. And the parents are sorely disappointed in the shell of a gifted and talented program that we got in G&T. For lack of a better term I will say that Carmen Farina reinstituted those programs because I yelled so loud and used the bully pulpit <laughs> and told her that the 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 zip codes that gifted and talented programs didn't exist in were the same zip codes that populated the upstate prisons. And for fear that I would say that out loud I think she's like just put the programs back mm-hmm. and but they were under-resourced so every time I met with the current chancellor if he saw me coming from a mile away, he knew it was going to be GNT related. I never deviated from my speech about needing more resources and demanding access and expansion of GNT. So I, I think the model Naquan McLean is right, but let me give it context. He's upset because he fought, leveraged his political capital, in as a CEC 16 president, and got uh, didn't get his money's worth with bringing the programs back. They reinstituted those programs in PS26, and the, 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 the parents who are now active and engaged enough to find, seek out in Bedford-Stuyvesant a gifted and talented program are going, hey, this program doesn't look like the program in Park Slopes, even though it's a, it's a gifted and talented program and I put my kid in here. When we visited in Park Slopes or in Bay Ridge or in these other places, you know, there was a huge fish tank in there. there. Like, all of the things that they expected a gifted and talented program to have curriculum-wise was not present in bed So I've been arguing with, not arguing, but d- uh, demanding from the current chancellor that we take that program and give it the resources that it needs. Let Maria jump in.
0: But so, you know, if, if the outcome of the vehicle by which children enter in these programs, right, is the segregation. Why isn't the answer fixing the vehicle? Why isn't it going back to the old model, which you know resulted in more diverse, gifted, and talented programs? Why is the answer instead to eliminate them?
2: So, you know, I, I think it's very clear, I mean, it's, it's very important to be clear that things got worse under Bloomberg. I think that the council member and I agree very much on that. Um, but I don't, want, I don't want there to be some idea that there was a golden age of G&T or tracking. I mean, when Appleseed did a report five years ago and looked at the history of advocacy around G&T, and it's like a broken record, these programs have been enclaves for affluent white kids for a long time, going back three decades, back, going back to a time when the demographics of the city were very different. And... And the, and the the complaint is always the same, and the response is always the same. Don't don't get rid of it, tweak it, you know. And I think it's time to stop. It's time to stop pretending to ourselves that something that is so fundamentally um, misconceived is is worthy of being tweaked anymore. I, the reason that I was asking about District 16 is because, you know, my concern is that these tests, um, you know, that. That any kind of system we have, in which we have winner and loser schools and winner and loser programs, are always going to disadvantage black and Latinx students because we live in a in, we live in a society that is very much plagued by racial hierarchy, and the people that created our educational system and the legacy of our educational system is very is white.
3: But you, while I agree with you, the one tool. Of any form of equalizing that has been the gifted and talented program.
1: So, right. so, so, so that's a great point. So, what? W- there's some larger vision at play here that we're not really, I think, articulating. Oh, that Councilmember Cornegie talks about about the utopian vision. I think Mayor De Blasio even used that same terminology. I Maybe was just he heard kidding. You.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: no, no. He, I think he used it in a okay. similar way you did, which is he was asked about the recommendations again this morning on the first day of oh. school, and he was sort of hedging a bit because he's not weighing in fully yet. But he said, you know, a few different things, and he said, I do get the concern that people, you know, sort of trying to think about a utopian vision when he said parents say to me make our school better tomorrow, <laughs> today,
3: yesterday, you know? I got, I got parents entering into kindergarten So he sounded today.
1: similar to you in in talking about some of that, but I think what hasn't happened yet, and, and this is just the beginning of this conversation, but I don't know if it will, is that I don't know that people get what that vision is, especially for communities like what the council member represents, where... How How is that community, how are the schools in Councilmember Cornegie's district getting integrated, getting the resources they need, where you're saying to kids, okay, we're not going to bring new G&T programs in there. What is the larger vision?
2: Well, I, I, I want to turn that around a little bit, though. I mean, again, we're talking about across the city, less than 5% of kids have access to these programs in district 16 according to naquan's piece it's probably even much less than that um so you know it's not as though gnt solves this question right it's I not mean, a
3: panacea i should have said that well, to begin with it's not, it, not a panacea that's, for that's fixing a good point. The
0: problem. it's 16,000 students out of
1: 1.1 million right.
0: right so why are we focused on this instead of talking about say redistricting all the districts
1: and well, that is
2: a recommendation yeah. yeah so
1: that so that i think gets at the question of putting this together for everybody which again, when when you have a, a when one plank of the recommendations is eliminate the current G and programs, and then you get you know the first story is the New York Times story with that headline. That's where the conversation goes, right? And but the conversation hasn't really included what is that full vision. So that full vision is redraw all the school districts around the city, change admissions processes so that your Intentionally creating more diverse schools. Now, the report even admits that that's almost impossible in certain areas, right? Without really moving a lot of well, bodies there's around. There's
2: Diversity in all of our districts. There's not always Some. racial, but it's but there's ethnic, there's national, you know, place of origin mm-hmm. uh, diversity. There's uh, and there's there's tremendous diverge, diversity in terms of linguistic um, background. Okay, so so okay, so there's let, vulnerability. There's, right. there's privilege. There's so there's you know. so there's
1: redraw the districts. Alter admissions processes and practices significantly to encourage diversity and not discourage it, which some you know screens mm-hmm. certainly do at this point. Um, and then there's the addition of enrichment programs everywhere, mm-hmm. right? So those are, I don't know, are those like maybe I'm capturing the three big sort of planks of the of the vision? Is redraw the districts. Change the enrollment practices and get enrichment everywhere.
2: Let me come back to something that I should have asked, that I should have um, provided at the very beginning of this discussion, which is the framework that was used in that first report, which is the five R framework of real integration that was developed by high school students here in New York City from Integrate NYC. They educated all of us, really, about what education. I mean, I'm sorry, really, what integration should be. Because, to be honest, Appleseed had been. Uh, sort of narrowly pursuing a kind of uh, student assignment based advocacy up until integrate NYC came along and they showed us that Integration has to be much more than just about student assignment. It's got to be about resources and resource equity across schools and districts It's got to be about uh, representation in our teaching staff and in our administrative staff so that the kids see themselves in in um, in the people that are working at the schools, it has to be about restorative justice it has to be about facilitating relationships am- am- among people of different backgrounds within these diverse schools and um, and part of that too part of the relationships piece too is also this uh, notion of culturally responsive and sustaining education and so we really are talking about a much bigger vision for the schools, and it's it's very important to read these two reports together, and it's very important to know that, um, you know, Appleseed has been in District 16. My colleague Matt was in District 16 for years working with uh, Nikwan and others, and, uh, you know, that it's not just about this one thing. It's about... A much bigger vision of making sure that uh, we're paying attention to the right things that we're making that schools across the city have resources, and that we are no longer comfortable with certain school districts having more than other school districts, um, that we're starting to look more and more at what school districts need.
3: So I, I think I, you know, I agree with most of, of what you said, um, but again, this one tool that we've had, again, not a panacea but it has provided uh, entry points for stu- high-performing students of color to be able to get into specialized high schools and ultimately go on to be very successful um, in secondary education. So I don't know how that would be, based on the numbers, kind of like the linchpin in the recommendation. We, we believe that, you know, so I don't want to discount all of the other work that was done or the findings of the report. I think, I think it's great work. Right, and I, I want to be clear that I, that I say that, um, but I think removing the test should have been like kind of the last thing we do after we've corrected, you know, after there have been corrective measures to all of the other points within the exam. The, people were alarmed. I was alarmed, and people were alarmed that their one opportunity, what they grasp onto, to be able to give their children a uh, uh, a fair chance, an opportunity in a broken system, clearly. The idea that you would remove that is is incredibly or suggest its removal is is um, is is alarming. When again, I gotta reiterate, this has been the one thing that parents are are drilling in their kids. You gotta you gotta be smart. You gotta take this exam. You gotta if I can get if I could just get my kid on that track, Mm -hmm. we're gonna be okay. To to wake up in the morning and read the headline that says they're gonna remove that one track. Is, is is incredibly alarming.
1: So, so we just have a few more minutes. We're talking with City Councilmember Robert Cornegie of Brooklyn, David Tipson of Appleseed, who is um, wasn't a, a member <laughs> all along the way of the of the mayor's school diversity advisory group, but has been doing this work and Appleseed was represented on the on the panel um, that just issued its second set of recommendations. So I guess what I what I'd like to ask you in response to some of that, Councilmember, is is it you know, do you have – if there were G&T programs added to every school in your district and beyond as you're advocating for, do you also want to see, you know, sort of the district lines redrawn and the, and the admission – Absolutely. Okay, so, so your focus – First of all, I don't want I don't you want you said, anybody
3: yeah. to think who's listening to this that I didn't read both reports mm-hmm. thoroughly because I did, but the, the focus – Today and the focus of my constituency yeah, yeah. has been around the gifted and talented exam. Do, and do you
1: do you want to do you want to see the proactive efforts to racially and ethnically integrate the city schools, or is that not something? Is it is your are your constituents? Is that not something they seem to care about? Is it, well, they
3: care about it, but you got to understand that for uh, long-term bed and Crown Heights residents, uh, integration has been something that has worked against them. Um, so yeah, they're not really clamoring for that. They're they're clamoring for equity, resource yeah. resource mm-hmm. equity. Mm-hmm. The the um the uh equi- the um integration portion of this. There are there are integration arguments in communities of color all the time mm-hmm. about whether or not that's the greatest asset, because it seems as though there's an imbalance when integration takes place on behalf. So I don't want to speak for for yeah, everybody yeah, yeah, in my district, yeah. but I know that that is, you know that that's not a. You know probably not a top priority the the, um, the resource equity would be the top priority if that would be one, two, three, four, and five well that's where you've also seen the proliferation of charter schools right. and the clamoring to get into schools
1: that seem to have more resources and... absolutely, even
3: if it was perception wise every mm-hmm. man's perception is mm-hmm. his reality and and parents across the board black, white hispanic, Asian all want the best for their kids and they want them to be in the most the the, the an environment that could, that they can grow in mm-hmm. right so they don't care what that environment is so i've been i've been um uh, unfairly accused of being a uber charter school advocate that that wasn't the case i know that i know that uh, school choice for parents is an important thing that, that we talk about right and that's another tool that was available especially to minority families in places like bed stuy so when they're thinking about what their student is going or what their child is going to be involved in they look at you know, the, the array of options, which are limited, and you have, you know, you got regular DOE, you got charters, you got gifted and talented, and not much else to choose from unless you're resourced and you can send your kid to a private school. So those four options are very limiting to people of color, and they're kind of grasping at straws because everybody wants the best for their kid, or at least the best opportunity to be successful. And if it seems like that's a charter situation, as we can see, the waiting list for charters in Bed-Stuy is off the charts mm-hmm. um, if it's gifted and talented. So I, so we, we're trying in CEC 16 to come up with a holistic approach to getting success for our students. And that's a mix. That's a mix of some great schools. We have, by the way, Bedford Academy, like we've got some top performing schools, not only in Brooklyn, but in the city. Our reference Bedford Academy, there's other great schools that are doing great work. And we try to look at that holistic, we put it all on the table. Gifted and talented, however, not a panacea, but it has for some families provided opportunity and options that the rest of the DOE doesn't seem to provide. And so this alarming headline, and I get the sensational you know, how sensational it is to have that as a headline. Um, I just I just want to be clear that that's not something we'd like to see in the iteration that has been presented. Mm-hmm.
1: And it seems like the challenge for the advisory group and whatever the, the chancellor and the mayor decide to adopt, although it seems like we're most likely looking at many months of conversation, which is probably needed in a much more public format mm-hmm. than group puts out report and mayor and chancellor just decide what mm-hmm. parts to adopt. Um, but the challenge seems to be convincing people that they don't have to You know, they don't have to worry about something they like going away tomorrow or not getting resources if they don't buy into something they don't like. But that there's a – you know, the the report has things to do in the first three years and then things to do in three to five years. Mm -hmm. But that vision seems to really need to be laid out for people as in here's the sort of significant but not life-altering steps we're going to take next year – Five years down the line, when some of you folks might not even have kids in the school system, here's where we want to get.
2: This has been a really helpful conversation. I and mean, I think I think we agree on so much, the council member and I. I think we agree that the current method of evaluating kids has got to go. I think we agree that enrichment programs are not reaching enough kids, and especially a lot of uh, enough black and Latinx kids. I think we agree that every school should provide you know an enrichment for kids. And I think we agree that, that there should be local, there should be opportunities for local community members to be part of figuring out how we do this. And I think these are all values that the SDAG shares. And. You know, and I think the concern about the sequencing and how fast we can get this going are these are real concerns. And I think what this report does, and the release of this report, is provide an opportunity for us all to sit down and say, how do we how do we all get what we really want here? Because I think everything you're talking about, you know, and I feel, you know, the the passion that you feel for the children in your district. Um, how do we get those things for our kids, and yet not continue to perpetuate these systems? Because part of what I'm worried about is that as Bed Stuy continues to gentrify, and God, the the numbers are astronomical. What a thousand percent, you know, increase in the white population in ten years or something more than that. Those G and T programs are going to become magnets for those gentrifiers, and I think that's and we're going to have the same kind of situation we have in District Three right now in on the Upper West Side, and. I think we, we want to set, we want to create the kind of educational system we want now in, in places like Bed Stuy so that as these neighborhoods change, we don't just keep replicating the resegregation.
1: Leave it there? I
0: think so. Good
1: conversation. Um, a lot more to come. Councilmember Cornegy, thank you for the time. Thank you. David Tipson, thank, thank you. you for the time. And thank you all for listening.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Bye.